We'll have a few thoughts in mind to share this morning. Let's, let's start, let's pray, and we'll jump right into it. Lord, we just thank you that you want to give us more revelation. It is your desire to give us greater understanding. He who spared not his only son, he who spared not his only son, will he not with him freely, freely give us all things? I know, Father, it's your heart to reveal to us the depth and the wealth of the riches of the glory of God in Christ. The depth of understanding of what happened when Jesus died and was raised again by the Father. No man can teach another man these things. Only the Holy Spirit can reveal these things. Who can know the thoughts of God but the Spirit of God? So, Lord, we just depend on the Spirit of God to reveal things that are beyond our ability to just reason out. Age does not always teach wisdom, but there is a Spirit in man. And inspiration from the Almighty gives him understanding beyond his years. And we ask for that, Lord. We ask for the, for the illumination of the Holy Spirit. For these things are not of men and not of this world. We must hear the voice from the other world or we will not understand. There is a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. But you, Lord, have the words of life. Though they seem strange at times, like eat my flesh and drink my blood, they are spirit and they are life, and there's meaning beyond our comprehension. So, Lord, we pray that the Holy Spirit would open our minds now as we depend on you to speak to us. As you said, call unto me, and I will answer you, and I will show you great and mighty things that you know not. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Father, for the revelation of Christ. For all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in him. <coughs> and it is of God that we have been placed in him and him, him in us. Thank you, Father. So awesome. Amen. I think sometimes we have to recalibrate ourselves because we have so many sounds coming to us and words coming to us and thoughts coming to us and this world around us and what the scene is around us. And sometimes it, it's just so important to be still and to look at the unseen in our inner man. I think one of the lost, uh, lost uh, if you want to say it this way, the lost 
a lost art in the body of Christ is how to behold Christ in our inner man. The Apostle Paul talked about beholding Christ in our inner man. The reality of union and being aware of union. Being aware that he himself is actually inside of us. And that he's so near to teach us and reveal things to us. And that he desires to reveal things to us. And just, just that sense of beholding in our, our spirit to spirit. Paul says it's one, of the, it's one of the secrets to becoming more like him. And being ma- and the real you manifesting or coming out is by beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ. And we know Jesus is not here in flesh and blood for us to look at his face. So what is Paul saying? He's saying something very spiritual about how inside of us we can rest and we can behold in our inner man him and just let the Spirit show us him and be aware of union. And those things seem weak. Those things to the natural mind seem like foolish and they seem like, what is that going to do? What's that going to do? You know, the natural is always geared toward knowledge of right and wrong, get the 10 steps, and then willpower to pull off the 10 steps, and then I'll find my goal. I'll reach my goal. Not realizing that, number one, you're already at the goal. Resting in a finished work, in a reality of union whereby we are, simply are, by an act of creation. So the whole premise, the whole premise of the natural mind's thinking that I just need to know what's right and what's wrong, what's good, what's bad. I need to know the 10 steps to get there, and I need to use my willpower to do it and be there at some goal out there is completely faulty, the whole premise. And yet that's the thinking in the natural mind. So it's so important for us to, to realize, you know, what he has done and rest in that. As Hebrews says, he has entered his rest, has ceased from his own works of trying to be something as God did rest from his works and cease from his works. We're not trying to be someone. We are trying to know someone. And when we know someone, we know who we are. When we see him, we see who we are in him. It's awesome. That's what Paul meant when he said, we now look at Jesus as if we're looking in a mirror. Now think about what that means. Paul says we're looking at Jesus now. We're beholding the glory of God in the face of Christ as if we're looking in a mirror. Right off the bat, that means Paul is saying that when you look at the glory of God in the face of Christ, you're seeing yourself. So when you see that you have been created, when I see I've been created in his image by an act of creation... Now when I behold him, I'm not only seeing him, I'm seeing me, which is astounding. For as he is, so are you in this world. It's awesome. Branch on a vine, he our head, we his body, one. So he has created us new in him. We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that we merely should just walk in. Because when he created you and I in himself, he put inside of you your DNA, your destiny, your works, and now they just merely flow out of your identity in him. It's awesome. So we're not doing to be. We see we are, and we find ourselves doing. 
which is a whole different mindset because this glorifies God, that no flesh may glory in his presence. I want to just, I want to share some thoughts about, about this unseen creative or creation, this unseen creation. I want to just a few thoughts about that this morning. I was listening on the radio, um, taking Kobe to school. I always listen to R.C. Sproul on the radio as I come back from, from taking Kobe to school. And usually I don't mention names, but this time I'm going to mention his name. R.C. Sproul. Um, he's got a lot right, a lot of good things right. But he said this on the radio just a few days ago. Driving home after taking Kobe to school, listening to the radio. He comes on the radio and he talks about how he, he said this. Really, he said, really, all that's going on in evangelism, what's really going on in evangelism, is a beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. It's really just a beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. In other words, he sees the Christian no better than the beggar. In fact, he said that. He said, we're just forgiven. We're the, he said, he said that on the radio, he said, the only difference between a Christian and non-Christian is that we're forgiven and they're not. This is serious era. <laughs> I mean, this is like, we are not just beggars showing other beggars or unbelievers where to find bread. We are not just sinners saved by grace. You know, once we, we were, once were sinners, but now we're not just sinners saved by grace. We're not still beggars. I mean, nothing could be further from the truth. Sons and daughters of the living God, righteousness of Christ, new creation, heirs of God in Christ, with all the authority of Christ in his name. Oh, my God. Go on and on and on. But that's the mentality. The mentality is that we really are no better. We're trying to get better under the false notion of progressive sanctification. And what is commonly taught out there is that, yeah, we're justified by grace through faith and we're righteous as a gift and it's totally all of God that we're justified and we're made righteous and we're forgiven. That's totally all of God, no doubt about it. But there is a process of progressive sanctification where you have to choose to be holy. You have to make choices to be holy. You're made righteous as a gift, but you have to choose to be sanctified. Progressive sanctification. This is what Clark hammers in his book that's awesome. The whole notion of progressive sanctification is false. What they're trying to say, and not saying it very well, in my opinion, is that they're trying to say there is a progressiveness to the body of, or to the life of, of Christian. There is a there is a progressive growth in the life of a believer. There's no doubt about it. But they don't see the nature of that growth, and that's the problem. They don't. You're not growing. We're not growing more and more holy um, by our choices. Think about that. You mean by my choice, my acts, by my by doing or not doing? I am more holy or not? Think about how ludicrous that is. I do something good and I don't do something bad. On their scale, you have become more sanctified. It's ridiculous. When you see the truth, it's like, that's ridiculous. That's like saying to an orange tree, if you 
produce this level of oranges, then you become an orange tree. But if, if 100, say 100 oranges, but if you're producing only 25 oranges, you're not an orange tree yet. But work on it. As opposed to, no, it was an orange tree in the seed. And that seed manifested. And I saw green leaves and a stem long before I saw any fruit. But it was an orange tree the entire time. That's God's way. And that's who you are. God's not into us doing to be. He's into us seeing what is that we might manifest what is. The fruit comes forth through the life. And God is glorified in that. It's a whole different mindset. It's God's way of thinking. So we're not just beggars showing other beggars where to find bread. What's the hang-up in this thinking, in religious thinking? Why don't they see it? Why don't they see it? I think a big, big part of the piece of the puzzle, and this is one of the things I want to talk about April 29th, one of the big pieces of the puzzle that they're not seeing is the nature of sin and where did sin go? Where did sin go when Jesus took it away? Because he took it away. Where did it go? If you don't know where it went, then you really don't believe he took it away. But if you believe he really took it away and understand where it went, ah, (laughs) a whole new understanding opens up about this new creation stuff. A whole new understanding. And what am I saying? I'm saying this. You ever thought how inconsistent that so-called progressive sanctification is? Well, let me say this real quick. The progressiveness of the Christian life is a progressive, I think I already said this, but I'll make it really clear. It's a progressive manifestation of what already is. That's why to outward men, to the, to the outward appearance, it appears you and I are getting more and more sanctified. It appears we were getting more and more holy because, wow, she used to do this, but she doesn't do that anymore. Now she does this, and that's, such, that's so godly. He used to do this. He doesn't do that anymore, but now he does this, and that's so, God, that's so like Christ. He's getting more sanctified. She's getting more sanctified because from the outward appearance, the deeds are changing, which they're supposed to, and they do because it's a new life. Like Jurassic Park, life will find a way. His life will find a way. It will find a way. God is at work in us, both to will and to do, according to his good pleasure. Both to desire it, to will it, and to do it. According to things that he loves. You become acting, you, you, you start acting like God acts because his life is in us. So the progressive part of the Christian life is a, it's a, from the outward appearance, it appears something is progressively getting better or whatever. But it's really just that orange tree bearing the fruit of an orange tree. The invisible reality is that the orange tree has been there from the beginning of the new birth, from the moment we were born of him and recreated new in him. So what happens, how does this all, okay, just real quick, the the dynamic of how this happens, I believe, from the apostles' teachings and from Jesus' teachings is that the mind is renewed. The mind, we, we have a new mind. We have the mind of Christ. If you were separated from your physical body, if you were separated as the new creation, were separated from, separated from your physical body, the scripture says you would immediately know all things even as you are known. Instantly. 
What's hindering you and I from knowing all things, even as we are known by God himself, is that we see through a glass darkly because of the brain, the physical brain of this creation. We have this treasure and earthen vessels that the excellency of the power is clearly seen to be of God, not of ourselves. We are having to work through weak earthen vessels through a brain to communicate with this world because we were made, the body was made to communicate with this world. But the new creation within is a creature of two worlds, born from above yet walking in this world. In this world, but not of it, Jesus said. So the new man within is having to work through this brain. As the Spirit reveals these things to us of Christ, a great mystery takes place in the brain and even in our body. The Spirit quickens the mortal body, the Scripture says, and new, new things happen in that brain that cannot be explained, but it's, 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 it's mystical, it's spiritual, it's God. And we start thinking the thoughts of God and then we start thinking the things, the seeing the ways of God and we start acting out how we're thinking because we're being renewed. Now this could happen in an instant if you were not in your body. But you got to live. you got to eat. Just kidding. <laughs> in other words, when you die, you're going to know all, the, all things immediately, and you're not going to be any more holy. God, there's no scripture that says when you die, God's going to finish the work real quick because you, you got up to 100. No, you got up to 150 oranges, but you need 500 to go to heaven. So progressive sanctification, you did pretty good, but we've got to finish the job real quick to make you fit for heaven. There's no verse, no teaching in the scripture that says physical death Number one, that physical death itself adds anything to your notorious nature of righteousness, nor does anything happen after physical death to finish something that needs to be done before you go into the presence of God. Absent from the body is to be present with the Lord immediately. Jude said he is able to cause you and I to stand in his presence with exceeding joy the moment you die. Why? Because he created something. He created you. See, really what they're talking about is the word, by definition, creation is, is one act, and it's done. There's no progressive creation. God doesn't create a piece of your heart and make it new and create another piece of your heart and make it new and create another piece of your heart and make it new. No, Paul says the old man, the old person died in this great mystery of the cross and a new man, new person was raised from the dead, created new in him after his image, just as Adam. God didn't create Adam in pieces. He created Adam, breathed life into him and he was a living soul. Even so, you, from the Lord from heaven, the last Adam, have we been created new in him and are a quickening spirit, a living spirit, a living being inside these bodies. Great mystery that religion does not get because religion focuses on that which is seen and not that which is unseen. As Paul says, look, not on that which is seen, but that which is unseen. The spirit must reveal the unseen reality or you can't really walk in this because what is faith? If it's not to live by faith, to walk by faith, it's to walk by that which we do not yet see. But we know is true by the spirit of God. Okay, so where did sin go? This is where I think religion gets hung up on this because scripture's clear. We don't have two natures. We don't have, you know, Peter says we've been made, we have been made a partaker of the divine nature. That phrase alone, just ponder that. 
We have been given the divine nature. Sons and daughters of God, partakers of the divine nature. So what, what happened to sin? This is what I think is, is missing. We heard that, we've heard that verse, we've read that verse, that he has separated our sin from us as far as the east is from the west. Where is that verse when they, when they talk about losing fellowship with God when you sin? I mean, why can't that verse be read side by side this false notion that you lose fellowship with God when you sin. It doesn't fit. This verse says, He has separated me from my sin as far as the east is from the west. And east from the west means you can never reach it. You know, you go east, you go east, east, you always go east, you go west, you go always west. East and west never meet. So where does that verse fit in with a false teaching that says, but as a believer... When you sin, you're out of fellowship with God until you get that sin forgiven and cleansed by confession so you can get back right with God, back in fellowship with God. Where does that fit? It doesn't. It doesn't fit in a thousand verses. So what are they missing? I believe this is what they're missing. And it's, it's, it's awesome to see what God did. He, as Paul says, he literally translated us from the kingdom of this darkness, this realm, into the kingdom of the beloved son. We actually went through a door, and the door is Jesus. Jesus said, I am the door. Pretty clear. I am the door. There is a door. Revelation, he says, I have opened a door that no man can shut, and I have shut a door that no man can open. I believe the door that he shut that no man can open is a reference to the very narrow, limited, tiny, tiny little door behind the Holy of Holies that he allowed a special people, the Jewish people, to look behind once a year by one person. In other words, he had a covenant with a group of people, the Jewish people on earth, and allowed that door to be opened for that, just that people if they did everything right with the sacrifices and the blood and the temple and the priesthood because that all covered their sin, covered, covered, not took it away, so that they could go behind that door with one person once a year and see the glory of God. He shut that door. He shut that door. That veil was rent in two. That door is shut. But he opened another door, a really big door. He opened up a huge door to all people. You know, Hebrews says that the actual body of Christ, Hebrews chapter 10, says, I think it's 1020, says the actual physical body of Jesus was the true veil. Isn't that awesome? Hebrews chapter 10, I believe verse 20, the physical body of Jesus himself was actually the true veil of which the veil in the temple was but a picture, a copy of the heavenly thing. So, so when Jesus' body was rent, when it was cut, when he died, what the Spirit is saying is that the door was now open to heaven itself. The cubicle behind the, the, the veil, the holy of holies, was a cubicle. It was designed, God says, design it as a perfect cube. It's a picture of heaven. It's a picture of another dimension coming into our dimension, sitting there as a perfect cube with the Ark of the Covenant inside there with the angels, the wings of the cherubim above it, and the shining glory of the Shekinah glory of God pulsating in the middle of the wings. That was a picture of what is in heaven, a piece of it on earth. 
awesome. And so when God ripped that veil, he was, it was a picture of his son being ripped and another door being opened. So what the Lord actually did was he translated all you and I who believe, all who believe on him are literally translated from the kingdom of this darkness, this realm, this earthly realm, into the kingdom of the beloved son, the heavenly kingdom which Jesus said was now here and at hand. He said, it shall be within you. It is among you now because I'm among you. It shall be in you. He stood at the middle of history where all those around him were not in this realm, but the realm was inside of him. He said, the kingdom is with you. It shall be in you. When I'm rent, this will come out through the gift of the Holy Spirit to all who believe. And this realm that I live in, for I am the Son of God who lives in heaven and walks on earth, you too shall live in heaven as you walk the earth, seated with me in heavenly places. It shall come forth to all those who believe and touch your spirit and raise you from the dead also and be joined to me. Now when he did that, he had to cut away your real person, your real being from your body. Because flesh and blood will not inherit the kingdom of God, the scripture says. So how did he separate us from our sin as far as the east is from the west? How did he take it away? It's a thing Paul calls spiritual circumcision. And it's the real circumcision of which the Abrahamic circumcision was but a picture, another picture, just a picture. See, the legalists back then were all, all into the pictures, trying to get the believers to be circumcised. Paul says, no, no, no. Circumcision nor uncircumcision means nothing. Only what? A new creation. Galatians chapter 6. Okay, so what happened, say this is a person. Soul and spirit is the invisible person within. Soul and spirit are distinguishable, but they are inseparable. They're distinguishable, but inseparable. This teaching that says your spirit is born again, your soul is being renewed or being born again, and your body will be born again or will be redeemed is false. The scripture teaches that the inner man was raised, the man, the person, not just part of the person. The script, Paul, Paul draws the line between the visible and the invisible, and both of these things are invisible. So he says the invisible person is new, soul and spirit. That's why when this person leaves this body, you will know all things as you are known in your mind because now it's a progressive revelation because you're having to deal with the body, have to deal with the brain. We see through a glass darkly. We prophesy in part. We don't see fully. We see what we say. We're trying to say what God is saying, but we say it in part, not in fullness because we're having to work through the brain. The moment you leave the body, you can see fully and speak fully because it's all a function of the body that hinders us from expressing fully and that's what Paul meant when he says I press on for to to uh to get what I've been called to get from God what's the phrase um I, I, I forget that which is past and I press on to the high calling of God in Christ Jesus that I might obtain that which I've been ob- obtained for what is he saying there see legalists will use that verse and say see see he's working hard to be more holy no Paul is saying, I want as much as possible while I'm in this body 
for this new reality to get out from this body as much as full as I can possibly allow it to. That's what he's saying. He's saying, I want what is inside of me to get out while I'm in this body on this earth so that men may see his glory and may see his awesomeness. And that's what I, I forget that which is past. I forget how I've failed him in the past. I forget whatever's happened in the past because what is, is, and nothing's changed. With his love for me and my life in him and who I am in him, I just go forward and pick up the pieces and say, I'm going to learn from this. I try to do that on my, my own. I try to do that myself. And now I'm going to learn how I can do it through him and rely on him so that he can get out and be manifested. So what God did was he actually translated this inner person, soul and spirit, soul and spirit, actually cut away the, the body of the flesh, cut you and I out of this body in a great mystery. Colossians says, by the hand of God, he cut away the body of the flesh. Now, what happened to sin? Well, this person was raised from the dead. We were dead being joined to our sin and in our flesh. Being in the flesh means you were, we were connected to this body in the flesh. The scripture says, by a great mystery, we have been raised from the dead, this deadness, this separation from God, and created new, a new creation with the righteousness of God himself joined to God in our spirit so that the, the very spirit of God, he who is joined to the, to the Lord is one spirit, Paul says, so that we're actually one with God over here. What happened to sin? He left it here. He left it in the flesh he cut away. The apostles said, in our members, in the members of our body, the power of sin still resides. In the members of our body, the power of sin still resides. The scripture says, the spirit of God will put to death the deeds of the body. Paul says in Romans 7, that when I sin, it's not I, not I, but sin in my flesh. It's causing me to act contrary to who I really am in him. This is what is not understood. This whole thing about the power of sin in the body, in the flesh, is not understood. That's why you can immediately walk in the spirit and not fulfill the lust of the flesh. Because they're not here. But if we walk after the flesh, we can be a believer for 50 years and still do a very fleshly, sinful thing. And we wonder, how could I do that? I've been with God for 50 years. It's because it's still in your body. It's still in the flesh. And you can have a brand new Christian who is born of the Spirit, so full of the Spirit, and so awesomely excited and passionate about what Jesus has done. And he's, or she is revealing Christ in her body like beautiful. And she or he looks better than the 50-year-old Christian. Looks better outwardly because why she's walking in the spirit we have for peter says if you if you if you're not bearing fruit peter says if you're not bearing fruit you have forgotten dear saint who walked has walked with god for 50 years you you have forgotten peter says that you were once purged of all your sin separated 
from sin as far as the east is from the west. See, the religious, the legalists would say, oh, no, no, if you're not bearing fruit in your life, it's because you have unconfessed sin in your life. No, Peter says, you have forgotten to stop confessing sin, in a sense. You have forgotten to stop trying to get cleansed. You have forgotten that you were once purged from all your sin. You see the awesomeness of the gospel? See what hope it gives us? Because it is a reality that is there regardless of how you feel or your mood or the weather or whatever's happening. It's, it's an abiding, as Clark says, an abiding state of being. God did it that way on purpose. It's an anchor. He's the anchor for our soul that goes beyond the veil, beyond the veil, because we're anchored to him, a new creation. Now, what happened is, we're, but we're still in the body. We're not this like floating out here. And the body's over here. What happened? How, did, how can this still be in here and this sin be in the body? And how does that work? Well, this is how it works. When the Spirit of God touched your spirit and joined himself to you because you simply believed. And by the way, it is first, first faith, then the Spirit comes. Contrary to R.C. Sproul and Calvinistic teaching that says, no, God sovereignly regenerates certain people and gives them faith so they can believe, and the rest of the people, good luck. (laughs) It's not the gospel. The gospel is you first hear, you believe, you receive. You first hear, you believe, you receive. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law, Paul says, or by the hearing of faith? Ephesians. Ephesians chapter 1, after you believed, you were sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. That's the truth. That means it's available to everybody. Everybody can be saved. Whosoever will, let him call in the name of the Lord. God is not willing that any man should perish. 1 John 2, chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 2 says, He died not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. Jesus wept over Jerusalem and, wept and weeping over Jerusalem who would not believe on him. Only a remnant believed on him. In his weeping over Jerusalem, he said, I would have gathered you like a mother hen gathers her chickens, but you would not. I would, but you would not. Real tears, a real promise. I would, but you would not. Men must believe. Men must choose. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. You hear that? Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. You have a choice. You can harden your heart against the voice. Today, if you hear his voice, harden not your heart. Receive it. See? That's a word that goes out to the world. Don't resist this grace. Blessed is he who is not offended in the grace of the Son of God, Jesus said. Some were offended by grace. They were offended by the forgiveness and the healing that was going on to to the point where even John the Baptist said, Are you the one or should we look for another? And Jesus' response to him was, tell John the lame walk, the blind see, quoting the scriptures that these are the things Messiah would do. And then he said, and blessed are those who are not offended in the Son of God, in the grace of the Son of God. Isn't that awesome? Legalists are offended by grace. You know why? Because they have 350 oranges. And you only have 10. And I am not going to let you, who had 10 oranges, Go to heaven before me with my 350 oranges. I've been working very hard for these oranges. I have fertilized. I have watched the weather. I've got pest control on my leaves. I have worked for this. Bogus. It's like with Jesus, the laborers, the laborers in the field. They worked one hour for one hour, got the same wage as the one that worked all day. 
And what did Jesus say? He said, the landowner said, am I evil in your eyes because I want to be generous with what I have? Do you really see me as an evil person, an evil God? Because I want to be generous with what I have. God who is rich in mercy has lavished upon us the grace of God in Christ Jesus. That Why? For what purpose? That in the ages to come, he might show the exceeding awesomeness of his kindness toward us. That's God. Okay, so how did this happen? How did this happen? I mean, how does this happen? I mean, how can you be in the body? This is how it happens. When the Spirit of God touches our spirit, Jesus said, he who drinks of this water, it shall become in him a well of water. He who drinks and tastes of this. When an unbeliever tastes of this good news, if he believes, it will become in him a well of water springing up because he'll be born again, joined to him who is the river of life. Rivers of life. There's a word for somebody in here for rivers of life. You've been thinking about the river of life. I don't know why. Somebody. River of life. Okay, so this... Spirit, what happens is the spirit touches here, and what happens is it overflows from the human spirit and covers from your human spirit. The water bubbles up, if you want to see it that way, and covers your soul, covers the cutting that took place here is now replaced by a layer of cold, awesome, beautiful, sparkling water. You're like floating like a baby in a womb with your own life system, even different from the blood of the mother, a different blood. That's how God showed me, how I I envision it, you know? So you're actually, you were still in the body with the power of sin in the flesh, but saints, you're a real person. You're in him and he's in you. You're in him and he's in you, in him, in you. We're protected by the presence, the presence of God. And one day, a long time ago, it's like I saw it as a blue flame, a blue flame, the spirit of God, a blue flame. God had cut me away from my flesh and the real me was protected by the presence in him and him in me, complete by an act of creation. Now, you see how if you don't see this, then every time a believer sins or stumbles, you think of this progressive sanctification kind of mentality. You think of, I've got to do in order to be, instead of realizing we already are. And the fruit will come forth as we are resting in him. And one of the key dynamics in all of this is to look in the mirror. You know, the, the people talk about, you know, the man in the mirror, you know, look in the mirror. We got that wrong. The way they teach that. There are people that teach that the Bible's like a mirror. You look in the mirror and it tells you all your sins so you can, you know, clean your face up. This is a book of a mirror, like a mirror that shows you where you're lacking so you can fix yourself. Look at the man in the mirror and see where, you know, you're doing wrong. So you can, no, Paul says, there's another mirror. And when you look in this mirror, you see Jesus. And if, by virtue of it being a mirror, you're looking at yourself. Wow. 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 That's the real me. And over the years, 
over the years, more and more oranges have come out of my life as I'm resting. But the oranges that have come out of my life have nothing to do with who I am. I mean, it has something to do because it's the fruit of who I am. But I'm saying it doesn't make me more of what I am, is what I'm trying to say. It doesn't make me more of a son of God. It doesn't make me more of an heir of Christ. It doesn't make me more righteous or more holy or more loved by God. He loves his orchard. I love where Jesus said, I love, this is so cool, the shepherd. The, you know, they said about Jesus that he would, the prophet said this Messiah would come and he would, he would not break the bruised reed. A, a reed was used in writing, and if the reed was bruised, uh, most people just throw it away, get a new reed to write with. And the scripture says when Messiah comes, he will not break the bruised reed and throw it away. He will mend the bruised reed. He will not, Messiah will not put out the smoking flax. In other words, most people in those days, they had candles, the flax, and when the candle got so low and it was just smoking, not very good flame, they would just throw it away, get another one. He would not put out the smoking flax. He would blow on it, help it. He would comfort it, nurture it. The scripture says Messiah would carry the young, the sheep, carry the young in his arms. What am I saying? He loves his archer, his archer. He loves, I love this statement. He says, you know, he goes, you know, some, some will bear 30-fold, some will bear 60-fold, some will bear 100-fold. I love them all. They're mine. In fact, he's actually drawn to the weak ones. He'll leave the 99 and go after the one. That's our God. Awesome. Lord, thank you so much. What manner of love is this that you would call us the sons of God, the daughters of God? Oh, God. Oh, Messiah. Messiah. Bless your people this day, I pray, Lord. Thank you, Lord, for helping us see the incredible reality of the new creation. Amen.